0: We're going to read from Matthew, uh, Matthew, let me even get the right gospel, Mark chapter 5, yes, yes. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. It's a familiar passage to you. Let's stand as we uh, hear the word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had, been, uh, who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region, and he was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As you know, Pastor Tom said he went down to, to, um, to the nursery. Uh, so uh, I'm thinking, hey, the cat's away have some fun here is this being can he hear down there you're gonna see him bolt out but I'm sure the policy says he has to stay there so So. so. and so I just want you to know this about me um I hate zombie movies um I almost uh, you know I said this in other churches, like does anybody here love zombie movies, but I don't want you to have to raise your hand and be embarrassed in front of anybody, just in case you do. Um, but they're disfigured, and they're gross, and you can't kill them somehow, and they're terrifying, and I just recommend don't ever... And I've only seen one. Well, maybe two, but I've only seen one. And so this, there was a time, so I have four boys. I have four boys, graduated from college, two are married and this is several years ago, and my wife and daughters had gone, I have two younger daughters, and my wife and daughters had gone down to visit family. So two of my boys came over to my house and said, Dad, let's have guy movie night. And I'm like, awesome. And they said, let's watch World War Z. Because it's not a zombie movie. I know you hate zombies. I was like, the Z should have given it away right there. But I don't know if you've seen it. If you have not seen it, don't see it. Don't see it. I I was scared out of my mind, and I don't know if you, you know, there's this whole point, and it's a virus. It's it's not zombies. It's a virus, and then they come, and if they bite you, and it gets in your bloodstream, you become the virus, and so the whole movie's about these people wandering around biting people. And but there's this thing about these non-zombie zombies, and that is, if you're silent and you don't move, they won't notice you, and maybe walk away. But the minute you flinch or make a sound. They come after you. And so movie night's over. My boys go back to where they're living. And it's about midnight. And I'm by myself in the house. And my house is a little older. And it creaks. And I get into bed. And I'm by myself. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen. But you wake up at 2 a.m. And you just, you're disordered. You don't know where you are. And I am in my mind. I am in this movie And I am paralyzed. Like, I'm not making a move. I'm not making a sound because I'm just absolutely terrified of what might happen to me. And uh, I'm a grown man. I mean, this is, right, um, that feeling I had, if you've ever been paralyzed with fear, had to be a fraction of what the disciples were experiencing in this text as they meet. Mine was a dumb movie. This is a man who is demon-possessed. So we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at four things. You can see them in your bulletin. The place, the power, the people, and the purpose. So let's look at the place first and foremost. This is the Gerasenes. It's across the Sea of Galilee into what's called the Decapolis. It's ten Greek cities that were um, built. They were established by Alexander the Great, And this was Gentile territory. And and you're familiar with the scriptures. You know, the Jews don't mix with Gentiles unless they absolutely have to. And you know, the Sumerians were in the middle, you know, between the northern and southern part of of, uh, Israel at that time. And they often even went around. Only when you had to go through would you interact with Gentiles. Um, So this is not on the way to anywhere. And so you start to see that this is intentional. This is intentional on the part of Jesus. He goes there. Jesus does not do random things. Now, one of my favorite movies, guy movies, is The Bourne Supremacy. And uh, that's the movie we should have watched that night. And uh, one of my, if you know about The Bourne Supremacy, Bourne, he loses his memory. He's a CIA agent. He can't figure out who he is. And he does all these things. He's trying to figure out who he is. And it looks like he's gone rogue. And the CIA is after one of their own people. And they ask at one point, he's just going everywhere, and they're asking one of the the previous field agents, you know, maybe this is random. And she said, these guys don't do random. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a reason. And that's the way it is with Jesus. And I wonder sometimes if we even forget that in our lives. Jesus doesn't do random. This is an intentional encounter. And do we see that in our own lives? And I I joke around with people sometimes. How many times have we said, well, I hope this happens, knock on wood. And I'm like, knock on wood? Why are we using some pagan thing about spirits and trees? Uh, uh, as, As Christians, we have the Lord of Lords. If you do that, no big deal. But I'm just saying, I mean, those are the things that get inculcated into our mindset. As opposed to, no, Jesus doesn't do random. Everything he does, he does with intention. And to make matters worse, here they are carved into this rocky shoreline are these Gentile burial grounds, it's tombs. And it was as creepy back then as it would be today. And then out of the tombs, this creepy place, comes a demon-possessed man. I mean, just when you think it couldn't get worse. And then off on the hillside, the backdrop is what? A herd of 2,000 pigs unclean animals. And so, and, and scholars suggest that with 2,000 pigs in one place, it might have actually been for sacrifice, for pagan rituals. So here you are, you're in a, you're in a, a Gentile territory, you're in a place where you might come in contact with a dead body which would make you unclean You're a demoniac, an unclean spirit comes out, and then you got all these unclean animals. This is a prescription for disaster. It is the wrong place to be. And it's right where Jesus takes them. If you notice early on, that Jesus comes, and he's the one who steps out of the boat. I mean, the disciples, you think about... Chapter 4, this is when Jesus calms the storm. They've just come off coming storm. It's probably dawn. They've been up all night. They're exhausted. They're bewildered. It's probably just, you know, a little bit dark still. And here they are in this territory. And they've got to think it couldn't get worse than this. This brings me to my first point. Brothers and sisters, there's no place that Christ will not go. There's no place that Christ will not go. He will go anywhere. He went to the Samaritan woman, went straight through Samaria. He goes to the Decapolis. He goes to the hardest places where they are, the craziest, spookiest places. Why? Because Luke 19.10 says it very clearly. The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. That's what he does. We don't just come to Christ. He comes to us in our deepest, darkest places. Praise God that Jesus does that. Not only does he give up his throne in heaven, but he goes to the worst places on earth. And this is a challenge to me. and I think it's a challenge to all of us because I really sense that one of our highest values in American culture is to create a culture of comfort, right? It's to create a culture of ease around us is to create a culture of safety. And there's nothing wrong with safety and security. Don't get me wrong about that. But it shouldn't be one of our highest values. Our coordinator Lloyd Kim, Dr. Kim, when uh, he and his wife earlier on were considering where to go, they went to uh, some, uh, a place in Southeast Asia. And they were exploring this field. So there he was with his wife and two daughters. They were very young at the time, exploring, I think it was um, Cambodia. And he was there, and they were in this place, and uh, it was the middle of the night, and he heard, they're on the second floor, and he heard something. Realized somebody was in the apartment. And he gets up, and the person dashes out the window. There was a balcony and then a little bit of a rooftop and onto the street, and he runs out, and the guy turns back and looks at him and has his wallet and runs out. And what is one of the first things you're thinking when somebody breaks into your house and your family's there, you go check your daughters, you go make sure everyone's okay. Now wondering what his family or his wife would say the next day, they start to debrief and he talks to his wife, Ida, and uh, instead of driving them away, her response was, man, this, this place needs the gospel just as desperately as ever, everywhere else. We need to be here. God is here. It was that incident that drove them to that place. And so Christ will bring us to wherever. And we go because we go with his presence. See, our goal is not to create the safest place for our kids or our families. Our goal is to follow Jesus. And maybe you've heard the term helicopter parent. Parents, you know, you know following their kids around, making sure nothing happens bad to them. I heard a new term. A new term. It's called the snowplow parents. The one that plows the snow out in front of their child so they'll have no obstacles. Now, we want to protect our children. I, I, I don't fault anyone for that. I want to do the same. But first and foremost, we follow the Lord Jesus. And one of the biggest deterrents to people going overseas, I'll say it out, is parents and grandparents. So I'm challenging the con- you as a congregation, even parents, would you be willing to pray that if God raises up your children or your grandchildren to go, that you would release them? To the mission field, to where Christ has called them. About three years ago, MTW came up with the 1% challenge. If you're in the, in the Sunday school, we talked about that, that God would raise up 1% of the PCA, this started about three years ago, 1% more of the PCA to go to the mission field, whether it's with MTW or not. That would be almost 3,000 new missionaries in the next 10 years. That's our prayer. That's what God has called us to do. He has called us to go and take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's no place that Christ will not go. Secondly, let's look at the power struggle here. There's this powerful forces of evil at work. And we, in our biblical worldview, we know that God has enemies. There's angels and demons and Satan. And Satan is trying to set up his kingdom against the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And so we have an enemy who prowls around. And notice in this particular instance, the demoniac, this is no ordinary possession. This isn't one unclean spirit, but it's ease overrun by a legion. A legion in Roman terms, Roman soldier terms, could be up to 6,000, maybe not that many, but up to 6,000. And by the way, we don't know why this man is demon-possessed. I love that about the Gospels. Did you ever think of that? Like, it doesn't say, you know, this guy, he was dabbling in the occult, got what he deserved. and he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. There's no question of that. Jesus goes to him, and he has an intent of saving this man. Now, one of the questions that I've been curious about in this text is, why don't they send a, a, a legion of Roman soldiers in there and just kill the guy? I mean, they could have done that. But you have to understand a little bit more about Greco-Roman worldview. Because in Greco-Roman worldview, there were gods and there were demigods. Those who used evil spirits for retribution, meaning in their worldview, the gods were punishing them by having this man possessed. And so you didn't want to kill the guy because then it might get worse. You might get possessed. The best you could try to do is to subdue the man. Let him not, you know, keep damage control, basically. But you see, they couldn't even do that. Put shackles on him, break him apart. Chains, loosen himself from the chains, and look at his condition. He's possessed. He's naked. He's isolated. He's in a continual state of self-destruction, but never being destroyed. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you, this is a a human word picture of hell. This is separation from God's gracious presence for eternity being played out in this man's life. At MTW, we have a vision statement, and this is what we say. We want the gospel to spread throughout the world and the church to grow, Satan's kingdom to be destroyed, and Christ's reign to be extended to the ends of the earth. But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who is amazing. We have a Savior who has power over Uh, evil and death, right? And so the demons, they know that they run and they fall at Jesus' feet and they cringe at his power. This is a a personification, if you will, of Philippians chapter 2, right? When every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. His authority one day will be acknowledged by everyone. Even the demons. And Jesus shows his complete authority and he casts them out into a herd of pigs, and they self-destruct into the sea. By the way, kids, just, uh, just to ask you this question, um, what do they call it when a pig runs into the water? It's called a swine dive, just so you know. Just Sorry. I was trying to lighten it up a little bit because it got a little intense there. Uh, sorry. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. I can tell by the groans uh, that was a little less appreciated. So anyway, we'll keep going. What I mean is that there's no no place that Christ will not go. Secondly, there's no power that Christ cannot subdue. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. Power over sickness, power over creation, power over evil spirits, and ultimately our final enemy, sin and death. But God calls us to step out, doesn't he? He calls us to step out in faith. I was working with a church one time, and uh, they have... um, Five values for missions, and one of them, it's an interesting one, it's called, We want to be recklessly dependent. Recklessly dependent. It's like, what? This is how they described it. God calls us away from the status quo to take risks by faith in His strength for the sake of God's eternal kingdom. The Lord calls us people to step out in faith that seems reckless. Yet that reckless abandonment to the will of the Lord brings glory and honor to Him. That's what He calls us to. He calls us to step out in faith to those hard places because His presence goes with us. His power goes with His people. And it doesn't mean difficult things won't happen, but ultimately we are under the power and authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that is our confidence as we go. Let's look at the responses because... Mark, as he goes down through this passage, gives the different responses to what Jesus has just done. Look at, what he, look at how he, he, they respond to Jesus. Look first at the herdsmen. Okay, they run and report to the town and to the city what's happened. Why? Because a whole bunch of people's living just went over the cliff. And they know they're going to be held responsible. And so they got to go, and they begin to tell people the story uh, of why uh, they no longer have 2,000 pigs. But notice the response of the people. Notice the response of the people in verse 15. And they came to Jesus. This is fascinating to me. And saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Now look at their response. And they were, you see what it says? Afraid. They were afraid. Now, why? On one hand, and not only that, if you look at verse 17, they beg Jesus. So they don't try to overpower Jesus. They don't try to kill Jesus for what he's just done. They beg him to leave. Why are they so afraid? Well, I appreciate the fact that they're dealing with somebody who has greater power than the one they couldn't overpower themselves. And so there's this fear that strikes the villagers. The people who've come. The people from the surrounding area. But it's also sad, is it not? That they would rather stay in their current darkness than be exposed to the light. Than find out more about who Jesus is. Now we're going to put a bookmark there. We'll come back to that. In a moment. But look at the description of the man. I mean just in an instant. At the power of Jesus. Look again at verse 15. And the man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. I mean, he's just restored completely. His shame is covered. His mind is restored. His self-destructive behavior has been reversed. And he appears fully aware of what's happened. He seems to know exactly what's happened to him. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel in the lives of people. So there's no place that Christ will not go. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. And there's no person that Christ cannot redeem. No one. The most unlikely can be saved. Now, just do me a favor. Picture in your mind a person, maybe in your family or, or a colleague or a neighbor, and you just... You just—you can never imagine them being saved. I mean, what would their life look like being saved? You just can't even picture it. Now, after seeing this story, right, reimagine, use your sanctified imagination to imagine your friend or your colleague or your family member, what it would look like with Christ in their lives. Because that's what he does. That's what Jesus does. He restores. He restores those who have no hope those who are bound in darkness. And this story is so amazing because this man is not a seeker. This is not a seeker-friendly church he's been to, right? He has no power unto himself. He can do nothing to save himself. It's Jesus who comes to him. Amazing grace. Now let me ask you a question. Those of you who are here probably who have grown up in the church. You didn't have a dramatic conversion like this. Was your coming to Christ Christ any less miraculous than this? I would argue no. It's as miraculous as anyone who's grown up in the church. Because that's what we all need. We are enemies of God apart from Christ. Whether we realize it or understand it or not. how how does this all happen he takes our place he takes the punishment that we deserve nt wright theologian puts it like this about this passage at the climax of mark's story jesus himself will end up naked isolated outside the town among the tombs shouting incomprehensible things as he's torn apart on the cross by the Roman standard of torture. See what's happened? See the picture there? Christ took what we deserved. He took that penalty and he's come for us. And he saved us from ourselves. And he's shown us grace upon grace and called us his children. And the amazing thing is God is on the move. He's on the move here. He's been on the move in your life. He's on the move around the world. So we support one of our, our missionaries in the Middle East. He's a good friend of mine. Been to his place a few times. And uh, I ask him on occasion, hey brother, what can I pray for? Because he's working amongst Muslim peoples. And this is what he says. This is great. He says, oh, hey Greg, please pray. Pray. This is this, a quote from his email. Pray for dozens of men and their families to come to faith in Christ among a new group In a village near us, we just met today with a group of 30 men. That's all that could fit in the house we visited. The whole thing was arranged by one man who has started considering the gospel, and he pulled together his whole community so that we could come and share with them. There were at least 17 more that would have come, but we were told to wait because of space. All of them expressed their desire to start meeting every week to study the Bible with us. All of them are from Muslim backgrounds. Folks, God is doing amazing work in places that we don't see, but he is doing his good work. I recently led a trip to South Asia, um, a short-term trip, myself and some pastors. And uh, we went and we did some teaching in a training center. There were 22 pastors and evangelists in this unreached people group. And they're going out. And we had the amazing privilege of going to one of the outreach um, villages and there we were it was a similar scene uh, you feel like you're in scriptural time you feel like you're in mark chapter 2 and everybody comes around they they let the man down you know because there's just not enough room for people and here we are some pastors from the northeast and we go uh, to this village and practice I mean, it's a very tiny village but people are just coming now there are probably by the time we got there like 25 people are in the living room a couple more coming because we're the we're the westerners they they'd seen westerners but they hadn't had a chance to meet folks uh, from the United States before it was really fascinating and there we were and there was a guy named Manon and he was the leader we knew all and he, nobody spoke until he spoke he was kind of the patriarch and he's there and uh, my buddy is sharing he's sharing from the story of Joseph and it was beautiful because he talked about, about you know, how his brothers betrayed him and all this dysfunction in the family and, and the beauty of that is the gospel the, there's dysfunction in every family across the, the globe right you can relate very quickly and then when we, on our way out, the evangelist told us, "I said, you know, just three months ago, Manon was ready to kick me out. He said, I'm tired of this Bible. I'm ready to rip your Bible up and kick you out of the village. And here he is today listening to this story. Uh, so you just never know how God is going to use just a simple situation. Folks, pray for your missionaries. Pray for your neighbors. Use your sanctified imagination to... to to ask the Lord how to best use you in their lives. But then let's close here or land the plane, so to speak, with the man. Because notice what the man does at the end of the passage, right? As he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, this is verse 18, the man who had been possessed with demons begged. There's a lot of begging going on. Demons are begging You know, for Jesus not to kick him out. The people are begging for Jesus to leave. He's begging to go with Jesus. Of course he is. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Amazing. Go to your home, to your friends. Think about that for a minute. What friends? What family? Can you imagine the destruction he has done has reeked in the relationships in his lives with his demon possession in a shame honor culture bringing shame on his family on his city on his village go home to your friends i think the man's got to be thinking what friends think of the pain he's brought to people but imagine the power of his story and this is where i said put a bookmark in notice that the people reject Jesus, right? They beg him to get out of there. But he doesn't reject the people. What does he do? He sends the man back. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. There's, see, there's no place that Christ will not go. No power that Christ cannot subdue. No person that Christ cannot redeem. And no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. He has a purpose for you. And you say, well, I'm not seminary trained. I'm not a pastor. How much of the Bible do you think this man knew? None. He was armed with one thing. What was the one thing he was armed with? His testimony. of What God had done in his life. I run cohorts of young people, uh, about five or six at a time, and we go through some of these scriptures, and we talk about how God is using them, or how God might be uh, use them here or cross-culturally. And one of the things I have them do is, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to memorize your testimony, and I want you to be able to share it in 30 seconds or in five minutes. So that when you're on an elevator and you're going to the seventh floor and they push the button and and somebody says something to you, you can share your testimony. Equipping ourselves with our stories and being ready to tell them when the time is right. Right? One author put it like this. There's no separate charge to the average Christian to sit on the sidelines while the professionals play the game. Sisters and brothers, God does not do random. He's writing his story, and he's calling you to join that story. And we ask ourselves at MTW, what would happen if God doubled the number of missionaries over the next seven years now? What would we do with them? And you can see it on the back table. It's called Join the Story of the part that we think God is calling us to play in his story. What if God raised up 1%? What if God raised up you? There's no place that Christ will not go. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. There's no person that Christ cannot redeem. And there's no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for the body of Christ here at Calvary. I thank you for their love for you, your kingdom, their love for the gospel. Lord, would you continue to use them? And if you call some today even, or plant that seed, Lord, by the power of your spirit, Lord, would you guide each person here how you might fulfill your purpose in your kingdom. Going, sending, being part of the ministry here. Father, would you bless this congregation abundantly. That's our prayer today. We pray it with confidence, not in ourselves. We pray it with confidence because we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.